You'll find my text or the words I want to focus on tonight there in verse 9. It's the words of Moses to uh, Joshua. Go out, fight with Amalek. Go out, fight with Amalek. If like the children of Israel, we have been delivered from bondage and separated unto God for a life of service, we can expect to be attacked by the enemy. As I mentioned last time, the Christian life is a life not only of blessings, but a life of battles. The last time we spoke about the words at the beginning of this section, then came Amalek and fought with Israel. And we focused upon the attack of the enemy. And that reminds us that if we are like the people of Israel on a march with God, uh, we are going to face the opposition and the attacks of the enemy. This evening we're going to think about the activity of the people, how they responded to this attack uh, that came from the Amaleks, uh, related to Esau, and in the Bible as a type of the flesh. The battle with the flesh never comes to an end. It will only come to an end when we pass over the great divide into eternity, but be sure the Amalek will never go away. And this is the constant conflict that we engage in as the people of God. And this passage gives us some insight into the way we must go about our spiritual warfare, if you like. It tells us how the Israelites engaged the aggressor Amalek in the fight. When Amalek came, Moses told Joshua to choose out men to fight. This was his command. Go out, fight with Amalek. This was something new. They'd never experienced this kind of fight or conflict before. And we did say it's only when we become born of God, when we become new creatures, that this conflict becomes very evident. Because in our natural state, we have an old nature within, just one old nature, one nature within. But then when we were born of God, the Spirit of God comes up and takes uh, his residence within our hearts. We receive a new nature that is born of the Spirit of God. So within us now today, there are two natures. And there's a conflict raging right now in the time of prayer between the old and the new nature. So this was something new for the people of Israel. And by the way, this is the first time in the Bible that we read of Joshua. And uh, if you want to count it many times he's mentioned in the Bible, you can go ahead. But I think, having read this somewhere, that he's mentioned about 250 times. Now, in this story, we see him as a soldier. Later on, we see him as a spy. Then we see him as a servant, of course. He's a servant of Moses. And then we see him as a statesman. He becomes a great leader. He succeeds Moses and becomes a great leader in the service of God. Now, last time we did say that verses 1 through 7 have to do with water. You can see the people came to Rephidim. There was no water there. 
Uh, so they faced another crisis on the journey. But in these verses before us, the subject is warfare. So there's the need for water, and then in the second part of the chapter, there's the thought of warfare. And in the first part, we can see the Lord providing for his people. He's meeting their needs as they go along, and that's a wonderful thought, the way the Lord meets the needs of his people as they continue on in the journey of life. And in these verses before us, we see the Lord protecting his people because he gives Israel victory over Amalek. Now, I just want to leave one or two things with you tonight, uh, just before we come to our time of prayer uh, this evening. First of all, I see the balance that's here. Moses adopted a twofold strategy when Amalek came. He, along with Aaron, his brother, and her stood on the top of the hill, verse 9. This is his spot. This is where he went to during the time of the battle. He went and he stood on the top of the hill so everybody could see him. He's the leader. He's the man with the rod of God in his hand. And Joshua, he faced the enemy below. He's down in the valley. It's a little bit like David going out to fight against Goliath. Down there in the Valley of Elah, we have highlights and great experiences in the mountaintop. But sometimes we've got to go down into the valley, and sometimes in the valley we face the enemy. We've got to take the sword of the Spirit and deal with the enemy when it comes on these occasions. Now, when Moses did go to the top of the hill, he had something in his hand. He had the rod of God in his hand. And Joshua down there in the valley, when he went out against the Amalekites, he had something in his hand. He had a sword. So here's the balance. The rod speaking of the power of God, and then the sword that speaks to us, of course, uh, of the word of the Lord. So Moses, he ascended the hill to intercede. He's gone up to meet with God. Oh, that we might go up to meet with God tonight that we might fellowship with God around the throne of heaven and grace. That would be a great blessing for this congregation right now, to ascend the hill of God, to meet with God. And he, he went up to intercede, and Joshua went out into the valley below to fight. So there's balance. There is praying, and then there's the practical aspect of the Christian life brought together. Do you see that now? It's not complicated, it's straightforward, it's simple, it speaks to you and it speaks to me today. There's balance here. So Israel had an intercessor on the mount and the commander in the valley. We can apply that uh, spiritually as well, if we so desire. And Moses said, I will stand on top of the hill. Now, why did they do that? So that he could see what was going on in the battle. The Lord Jesus Christ was up there on the mountain praying when the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee and they encountered the storm. Oh, he was up there praying, but he was keeping an eye on the little vessel out there in the storm. And the Lord has his eye upon the righteous and his ears open unto their cry. And it doesn't matter what conflict we are engaged in, what enemy comes our way, what storm we meet, the Lord knows what's going on down there in the Sea of Galilee, down in the valley, wherever 
the eye of God is upon his people. Never forget that. Sometimes when we do forget that, we get more discouraged. And we get deeper down into the quagmire of depression and failure and defeat. Remember this. There's one above watching down, overlooking his people in all of their times of need. So he was up there uh, for that purpose so that he could see the battle. But at the same time, so the soldiers could see the rod of God in his hand. Oh, they were able to look up and see the rod of God. That reminded them of the power of God. That rod that smote the rock, that rod that smote the Red Sea, here's the power of God. So they were encouraged when they saw the man up on the hill. Moses was looking down on the battlefield. They were looking up and they could see the rod of God reminding themselves of the power of God that was available to them. Moses held up the rod, as it were, invoking uh, the blessing of God, reminding the soldiers below of God's strength and God's power to overcome. Remember in verse 6, the Lord said something too, similar to this. He said, I will stand before thee there upon the rock. Why did he take that position there on the rock just before it was smitten? I think this is a theophany. This is an appearing of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Why did he take this position? It's not a little pebble. It's a rock. Standing on this rock and soon the water will flow. Well, so that the people could focus on him at this crucial time. Are we focused at this crucial time in our history here in the congregation? Are we focused on the Lord? Do we see him tonight? Remember what he said, Jesus that is. He said, if I be lifted up. I will draw all men unto me. So here we see, even out there in the wilderness, the Lord standing on the rock. The people are to focus on him. And as we come again to think about the work of God in the congregation, we need to focus on him. We get our eyes of men, the opinions of men, the thoughts of men, and get our eyes upon the God of heaven who has a pastor for this congregation and he wants his people here to move in the right direction to bring to this pulpit a man of his choosing. And so we need to be focused on Christ. And if we are, it will all work out well to the glory and praise of God. So Joshua fighting below with a sword illustrates uh, the Spirit of God using the Word of God. What are we to learn from this as we engage in spiritual warfare? It underscores the importance of balance in the Christian life. Now, let me explain that. Some Christians lean too heavily on the Moses side or the trust side. Don't misunderstand me, by the way. They think they have nothing to do, but they feel that they want to just let God do everything. Now, we do not need to be completely passive. According to this kind of thinking, there's nothing for believers to do. Then others, they incline too much to the Joshua side or the action side. They emphasize so much the need to be serving the Lord that they neglect the importance of trusting God. It's getting the balance right, you see. God is sovereign, but God uh, holds man accountable and responsible for exercising and doing his bidding and doing his will. That's the way it works. God is sovereign in all things. Victory does come from God, but he expects his people to appropriate the victory. 
And so God is sovereign. He has a man for the congregation. But he wants us to be sensible and spiritual enough and wise enough and intelligent enough to come together as a congregation, as it is in Presbyterian circles, at the appointed time to get our heads together and our hearts together and our minds together to vote for a man that he is appointed from eternity for this congregation to be in line with his mind, to be in line with his will. We can't go wrong if we do that. We will not go wrong if we do that. But if we take any other course, it will be disastrous and we can't afford to let that happen again. We've got to be spot on in the way we move forward. It's not sufficient that Moses intercedes in the hilltop. That, that was crucial. Joshua had to fight in the valley. God is sovereign, but he calls his people to meet together as a congregation, a community membership, to cast a vote, to vote for a man of his choosing. That's the responsibility we have at this point of time. So God is sovereign in all things, and we can trust him to help us in our spiritual warfare. I like the, 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 the comment made by uh, Oliver Cromwell, uh, this perfect blend of a man on the hilltop and a man in the valley with a sword in his hand. This perfect blend is illustrated by what uh, Oliver Cromwell commanded to give to his soldiers centuries ago. Trust God and keep your powder dry. Okay. Trust God and come with a heart right with God to vote at the appointed time. And may the Lord blow upon his people that they may move in the right direction and return to the congregation a vote that glorifies God and brings the right man to the congregation. So there's the balance. But then there's the battle. So you have, you have the balance, you have the scene, Moses in the hilltop, Joshua down the valley, you have the battle. And the thought here that I want to pursue is the support. The first thing we note is that Israel's success against the Amalek was determined by the lifting up of the hands of Moses, verse 11. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. So we can see the situation. He lifts up his hands, he's the rod of God in his hand, and as he does so, Israel takes command of the battle. Israel is making progress. Israel is uh, making strides forward. So we can see that, can't we? He holds up his hands and they have victory. Now the significance of this is defined in several scriptures. The uplifted hand was emblematic of prayer. For example, Psalm 28 verse 2, Hear the voice of my supplications when I lift up mine hands toward thy holy oracle. So here we have the man on the hill with his hands raised, emblematic of, of prayer. To get the picture now, we're in the battle, and this is how we uh, contend with the enemy in the battle. We give ourselves the prayer. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands again, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. So the passage here alerts us to our danger uh, in the spiritual warfare. So the two armies begin to fight. Moses raises up the rod of God and Israel begins to win. Then when his hands grew weary, he lowered his arms and Amalek began winning. It became apparent to Moses, 
to Aaron and to her that the determining factor in the battle was whether or not Moses held up his hands and held up the rod. So Aaron and her sat Moses down on a stone and each of them took one of his hands and held it up. So what are they doing? They're supporting the man of prayer. They're gathering around the man of prayer here because he's holding up his hands. He's praying, you see, and reciting on behalf of the people. And these two individuals, they gather around, they're rendering him support. So he's sitting there in the stone. Do you read of anybody else sitting in a stone in the Bible? Well, I know of one. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 2. It's the resurrection morning. The angel of the Lord has appeared, rolled back the stone. What does he do next? He sits upon the stone. What does he do when he sits upon the stone? He proclaims the victory over the enemy because he said to those who had gathered, he's not here. He's risen. He's triumphed. It was a note of victory. And so we can see Moses sitting there on the stone with these two men gathering around, holding up his hands. And what's happening? There's victory in the battlefield. The enemy is getting defeated. And the people of God are making so much progress. Have you ever tried to pray for a length of period of time holding up your hands? I, I tend to hold up my hands privately when I'm praying. I'm not, not like charismatic, but I, I tend to do that in the home. Or maybe sitting like this here. I've no problem with that at all. But have you ever tried holding up your hands for a length of period of time? Soon grow weary. Isn't that right? You've maybe tried it. You know all about it. Maybe some of you men are doing a pinting up here. And you're working away there. And the paint is splashing over everywhere. And your arm gets weary. You've got to get it down again for a while. Men not always to pray and not to faint. It's not easy to pray without ceasing. The intercession was made on the hilltop. Now what does that suggest to you? Prayer is often an uphill work. It's an uphill struggle. It can be a struggle to pray. I've discovered that. I'm sure you've discovered that. Even today, it hasn't been easy to pray. It hasn't been easy to prepare to come to preach tonight. Uh, it's, it's not easy. So the battle ebbed and flowed in relation to Moses holding up or dropping his hands. His hands grew heavy, verse 12. Or that word heavy means weary. Uh, sometimes we grow weary and well done, don't we? Uh, it just overcomes us. However, Moses was not on the hill alone. Isn't that comforting to know we have brethren and sisters who know about our needs and surround us and pray for us and hold up our hands as we go through the furnace? It's maybe not public to everybody, but we have close personal friends who know all about us and know what we're going through. Uh, and they take the time to pray. And if you know a brother or sister here tonight who's gone through a difficult time, pray for them. It doesn't need to be broadcast. You can bring it to the Lord in prayer and seek to lay hold upon the throne of heaven and grace on their behalf. And so when he grew weary, engaging in this great work of prayer, his hands grew weary. And these two men immediately thought up this great plan. It was a great idea. And the rod speaks of the power of God the plagues in Israel, the parting of the Red Sea, the rock smitten, I've mentioned this before. 
Interceding with the rod in the hand teaches that a man of prayer is a man who has power in prayer. I see him with the rod there and these hands are held up. He has power in prayer. Oh, Israel's prevailing in answer to prayer. You can see that. These are simple things. But so relevant to us as individuals, as the people of God. Joshua and the army would trust in God and fight. Moses uh, and his associates on the hilltop, they will pray and God would do the rest. That's what we've got to do, folks. That's the, that's the way we've got to proceed in this conflict against the enemy. Aaron and her had to take their place with Moses and held him, help him hold up his hands until Israel gained the victory. So Aaron and her illustrate two helpers that we have to keep us in communion with God. Aaron represents the priesthood. He was not the high priest at the time, of course, but he represents the priesthood, the one who brought the needs of the people uh, to God, the advocate with the Father of you like. That points us to Christ. And so we have this wonderful thought when we come to pray, we have Christ, our great high priest, he's praying for us there in glory. We may grow weary, but he's there to pray that God give unto my servant strength to pray. Then we have her, he's there. His name means whiteness or purity. Arthur Pink says that it means light, an emblem of holiness, and it points uh, to the spirit because her became a great comforter to Moses. So you have Moses, the intercessor, praying for the people of God. You have the representative of the priesthood, much later on, of course, but we have her as well. So when we come to pray, lay hold upon God, we're going to be attacked, but we have one in the glory, our great high priest interceding for us. And the Spirit is there to help us. He helpeth our infirmities. For we know not oft times what we ought to pray for. The Spirit helpeth. He draws near to us and gives us strength. So we've looked at two things. The balance, the scene. These two individuals. One on the top of the hill. The other down in the valley. Then you have the thought of the battle. And the battle that comes to us all. We're all in a battle. But with two helpers. With our great high priest in heaven. And we have the aid of the Spirit, his representative on earth, given to us upon the basis of redemption, to infill us, to lead us, to guide us, and to help us in the conflict with the enemy. And then, finally, there's the banner that we've got to think about briefly. The banner speaks of the success. Verse 13, Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. He didn't annihilate uh, Amalek. Amalek continued uh, even through the days of, of Saul. Remember Saul was told to slay them and slaughter them. He didn't do that. But Amalek was subdued in the days of David. So he didn't annihilate them because he can't destroy the flesh. The flesh will never be annihilated. The flesh will always be there fighting us. And so he had the, the, the sword in his hand and the sword speaks to us of the two-edged sword. We read of in Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 12. It's not by prayer alone that we can fight the flesh. The word of God is also needed. The word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verse 11. The combination of Moses' intercession 
on the hilltop and Joshua's fight in the valley resulted in the victory for Israel. In vain had for Israel, in vain had Israel, Moses prayed if Joshua had not fought. In vain Joshua fought in vain if Moses had not prayed. Joshua could not have succeeded without Moses, and Moses could not have availed without Aaron and Hur. And the victory of Israel involved three elements, the power of God in heaven, of course, primarily, the skill of Joshua in the valley, uh, and the army on the battlefield, and the intercession of Moses, uh, Aaron and Hur, on the top of the hill. And then we're told, and Moses built an altar, verse 15, and he called it Jehovah Nisai. That means the Lord is my banner or our banner. And the banner is an emblem such as a national flag which identifies the army. It represents and designates the political powers behind the army. Jehovah Nisai is our banner. We are his people. He is the power of God. He is almighty power. And he is at our disposal, in a sense, to help us in this conflict with the powers of the flesh. Now, some see Moses interceding on the hill, and they say that shows, teaches a lesson about Jesus on the higher heights. And that is true, but primarily we're talking about how we as the people of God deal with the flesh. Now before I finish, notice is made here of a hill. And notice is, uh, we notice also the reference to the hands of the one on the hilltop. And there are three people on the hilltop. Moses, her, and Aaron. The hill, the hands of Moses are held up. But I, as I came to the end of my study, I thought to myself, that reminds me of another hill outside the walled city of Jerusalem when three men were laid out to be crucified. I think about the one on the middle tree whose hands were impaled to an Uruk cross to atone for our sins. It's through his blood the devil is defeated. It's through his sacrifice that the world, the flesh, and the devil are defeated. It's through his blood and his sacrifice that we have victory because he is Jehovah Nisai. He's our banner. His banner over us is love and his victory. We have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Moses was commanded by God to write this for a memorial in a book. It's not often you read in the Bible about a book, but things were written down in books for a reason. And uh, it was to be rehearsed in the ears of Joshua and all Israel and in succeeding generations. They were to be reminded about the great works of God. The children of the children of Israel were to be reminded of the great works of God. And that's the responsibility we have to our children to remind them to rehearse in their ears the great works of God and salvation. So the leader was to fight, said, Joshua, you've got to fight a battle. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, you've got to write a book. And the battle was fought at the cross 
And the record in the book is this, that Jesus has defeated the devil, the world, the flesh, and the devil. He is all victorious. He's our Savior. And he's with us tonight in the house of God in the place of prayer. Go out and fight Amalek. May God bless his word. May God help us as we seek him tonight in prayer. Let's all bow.